You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. I seek refuge with Allah from Satan the accursed. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful, peace be upon you. Good morning, and welcome to the breakfast show at the Voice of Islam with Imam Tokith and Rui Khan and myself, Walid Ahmed. Um, the time uh, is uh, six minutes past seven. It's Friday, the 1st of December, 2023. As always, we have a packed program this morning uh, with The Breakfast Show. The Breakfast Show is an interactive broadcast. It means that you, our listeners, have the opportunity, if you want to benefit from it or if you want to avail it, uh, to join in any of the discussions taking place during the course of this program. All you need to do is to pick up the phone, dial 0208-687-7878, and hopefully you'll be put through to share your thoughts uh, with the rest of our listeners. Alternatively, you can use the more modern method of uh, what used to be called Twitter, it's now X, and post your uh, views uh, at uh, Voice of Islam UK. That's the X handle that uh, we have. Um, we will be exploring a variety of different uh, topics, um, and um, uh, that's going to be in the first half hour when we were looking at uh, various uh, news items that are circulating both within the Amdiya Muslim community and also in the wider media. Um, then uh, in about half an hour's time, so around 7.30, we'll be looking at uh, two main topics as we normally do uh, on The Breakfast Show. Uh, today we've selected uh, the first to be um, something to um, complement the multi-religious society that... Um, uh, we live in in the UK, um, and um, we don't think it'll be out of place to explore uh, aspects of another faith. Sikhs will be celebrating one of their festivals, the uh, Gurpurab. Uh, so we'll be asking the question, what is Guru Nanak Jayanti? Because that's also another festival that uh, uh, is normally celebrated. In fact, uh, I understand that that's one of the uh, um, biggest festivals for um, Sikhs. So we're looking at that. And uh, with this, we'll be looking also at the life of uh, uh, the founder of Sikhism, Baba Nanak, and uh, uh, what the Promised Messiah, the, uh, uh, the founder of the Amdiya Muslim community, has said about him. So we talked to Imam Ansar Raza, uh, who is serving in the outreach department in Canada, and will be sharing what he had to say uh, during the course uh, of the program, and that is something that we'll be addressing between 7.30 and 8.15. So if you are going to be interested in that particular item, then please make a point of staying with us uh, uh, during that uh, part of the program. As far as the second topic is concerned, that's something that we'll be addressing at around 8.15. Well, there's no hiding from the fact that there is has been a war uh, going on in the Middle East. Uh, we did have uh, a slight pause uh, for a week or so, but uh, sadly uh, news uh, is coming in that uh, fighting has resumed. There have been airstrikes uh, from the Israeli uh, side, and uh, that's quite uh, disconcerting, especially those people who are uh, uh, wanting peace, uh, vying for peace. Um, but uh, our second uh, topic 
is looking aspects of this of this con- conflict okay but particularly dealing with islamic teachings in respect of war so uh, uh, the title of this topic is what is the islamic teaching on attitudes to war so what are the regulations what are the etiquettes if you like um, what are the rules and regulations that um, islam applies uh, when it comes to war. So if you have uh, an opinion on this uh, that you wish to share, do, do make a point of ringing in or posting um, a message on it. We do have, uh, I understand, um, um, uh, 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 probably somebody who will be able to uh, join us uh, to talk about it, but we'll see whether that's going to be confirmed or not. So, <clears throat> Without further ado, uh, let's go for a very short break. After that, we look at the weather and some of the stories that are circulating in the wider media. So don't go away. Stay with us. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show of the Voice of Islam with me, Walid Ahmed. It's the 1st of December 2023, and uh, it's a quite a cold morning, I'm sure you'd agree. Uh, as far as the weather forecast is concerned, it says, well, this is the BBC forecasters. They're saying that a dry and bright day for much of the UK once any early cloud clears southeast England. Many coastal areas are expected to see scattered showers, some wintry along North Sea coasts. And as far as the evening is concerned, the uh, forecasters are suggesting that tonight will be a dry and clear night for most of the UK. A thick low cloud will build for southeast England with mist and fog in places, showers for coastal areas, some wintry in the west. Temperatures are quite uh, low. Um, I think uh, the BBC also mentioned uh, on the, one of their broadcasts that uh, in some places temperatures have fallen to minus 9 degrees centigrade. Uh, I know this morning it was minus one when I started my journey for uh, the mosque and uh, for the studios. So it is uh, really uh, quite cold. Uh, But I'm told also, as far as the long-term forecast is concerned, that uh, this cold weather will uh, perhaps um, recede, should I say, or relax or become a bit warmer now. Um, in uh, early next week, so it won't be it won't be something that will last. So that's something, I think, uh, a positive uh, thought for us. Now let's see what is happening in uh, the um, uh, wider media. There's um, a lot of uh, talk uh, recently about um, the uh, policy of uh, the government regarding. Uh, migrants coming on boats, uh, stop the boat policy. Uh, this is one of the pledges of the current government. And it seems that it's uh, going to be very unlikely to be realized what it wanted to do, what the government wanted to do. This is about, um, as I mentioned, stopping the boats. A central plank of this pro- uh, policy was to send asylum seekers or migrants uh, arriving on boats to Rwanda. 
for processing and refuge. Uh, it was hoped that this would act as a deterrent uh, to would-be asylum seekers not to try and move to the UK uh, via boats, particularly, or otherwise. Uh, the Supreme Court, however, uh, last week or the week before, ruled that this would be unlawful. And the new Home Secretary also has already signaled uh, a few days ago that this would not be the only means uh, through which immigration would be cut. So the uh, stopping the boats would not be the only means through which immigration would be cut. Um, and uh, um, so, and or should I say, the Rwanda policy would not be the only means through which immigration would be cut. Meanwhile, in a defiant speech by the Prime Minister, this was on the day the Supreme Court made its ruling that uh, sending asylum seekers to Rwanda would be unlawful, Mr. Sunak vowed that he will pass legislation that would say that sending asylum seekers to Rwanda was lawful, thus overriding the Supreme Court decision. It looked like he would be able to achieve this without too much problem in view of the majority the Conservatives have in the common. But what has been overlooked is the reaction of the Rwandans. Uh, They are already smarting at the way the Supreme Court dismissed them as an appropriate location for asylum seekers and will be outraged if they are discredited in the debate on the topic in Parliament. The chances are that there will be plenty of MPs who will be denouncing Rwanda and its capacity as a fit location for our asylum seekers. And if this is vociferous enough, if this is... um, Um, aggressive enough, it may lead to the African country uh, denying or uh, rejecting or should I say withdrawing from being a participant in this scheme. So if that were to happen, then it would be the final nail in the coffin. The UK has been a haven for those fleeing persecution and oppression for years And in doing so, one cannot deny it has benefited from this policy of being a haven for those fleeing persecution and oppression. Uh, And uh, it is not surprising that it has uh, yielded or it has um, been able to benefit uh, from uh, giving uh, uh, refuge to those who are feeling persecution. Because the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, has said that whoever relieves uh, another of a burden from the burdens of the world, Allah will relieve him of a burden from the burdens on the day of judgment. And whoever helps ease a difficulty in the world, Allah will grant him ease from a difficulty in the world and in the hereafter. And whoever covers uh, uh, the faults of another, Allah will cover his for him in this world and the hereafter. And Allah is engaged in helping the uh, the worshipper as long as the worshipper is engaged in helping his brother. So, uh, according to this hadith, those who help others will not be at a loss, but will prosper. Uh, this has been the case with immigration in this country, many would argue, in the past. And though some control, I suppose, uh, needs, uh, needs to be exercised, one can argue that we should not fear uh, this uh, particular aspect of immigration as uh, as we do, certainly in some quarters. Um, we should uh, dial down the hysteria of this because uh, if we are able to help others, 
then uh, we should rest assured if this, uh, certainly from on the basis of this hadith, we should rest assured that we will not be at a loss, that uh, we will uh, we will benefit. And this has always been the case. Um, when you think about uh, the Ugandan Asians and uh, when you see about um, uh, the uh, migrations uh, that uh, have taken place in the past, uh, we have indeed uh, uh, benefited uh, in so many different ways. So uh, let's uh, dial down the uh, concern. Uh, that's, uh, I suppose, a view that is being expressed in certain quarters about dialing down your concern. If you have a different view, then please do ring in and uh, let's share your uh, thoughts with uh, the rest of our listeners and uh, perhaps uh, expand our discussion on this particular uh, on this particular policy and this particular issue. Now. Um, the other, uh, I suppose, um, uh, developing story is the research that goes on um, in uh, um, universities and in scientific uh, organizations uh, in uh, trying to alleviate the uh, suffering that we uh, we um, um, we endure due to um, uh, due to illnesses and due to um, um, diseases. Uh, one of the diseases that is uh, becoming uh, quite prevalent is is cancer. Uh, it is estimated that one in two of us will suffer from cancer at some point. And though its incidence may be rising, so are methods of treating the disease. Currently, the main treatments uh, appear to be radiotherapy and chemotherapy, but there are others as well. Uh, but recently, um, in the last 12 months, an, an innovative uh, new treatment has been tried. It involves a genetically modified version of herpes of the herpes virus and injecting it directly into tumors. Uh, the virus uh, multiplies inside the cancer cells and bursts them from within. And it does one thing more. It blocks the protein known as CTLA-4. I don't want to get too technical, but basically this is a protein um, that uh, is emitted or produced um, during cancer. And what this protein does, it prevents the patient's immune system from um, uh, killing cancer cells. So this particular herpes virus uh, uh, modified version of mustress of herpes virus, what it does is that it um, um, it tackles uh, and, and attacks the CTLA-4 um, so that it can um, um, it can equip the immune system to kill uh, cancer cells. So there's a, a double effect that is re- uh, released. So. That's the theory, at least, and the treatment with the virus has proved to be quite promising. It's a genetically modified virus, I must say. It's not the actual virus. Um, And I one group of nine patients given this treatment. Three benefited and saw their tumors shrink. One saw um, his disappear completely and remains cancer-free 15 months after starting the treatment. Another two whose cancer was quite advanced saw their cancer shrink. Uh, now, I should note here that all patients involved in the trial had very advanced cancers which had failed to respond to or were not eligible for standard care, care options. And I mentioned you know, chemotherapy, radiotherapy. Now, leader of the study, 
uh, was Professor Kevin Harrington, and uh, he's a professor of biological cancer therapies at the Institute of Cancer Research in London and co- uh, consultant uh, oncologist at the Royal Marsden uh, Foundation Trust. Now, he said, it is rare to see such good response rates in early-stage clinical trials as their primary aim is to test treatment safety, and they involve patients with very advanced cancers for whom current treatments have stopped working. Our initial trial findings suggest that a genetically engineered form of the herpes virus could potentially become a new treatment option for some patients with advanced cancers, including those who haven't responded to their forms of immunotherapy. I am keen to see if we continue to see benefits as we treat increased numbers of patients. So that's a a quote from Professor Harrington. Uh, Progress continues uh, to be made, and I'm sure that uh, that day will definitely come when there will be a comprehensive cure for all cancer in the future. Uh, I say this with some confidence because the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, has said that there is no disease that Allah has created except that he has also created its treatment. So we should rest assured that the treatment does exist for all ailments, including cancer, and that it's just a question of us uh, putting our resources together and trying to find it, and we will, uh, God willing, one day find it. So, uh, what else is there? Well, on the um, uh, health side, there is uh, there was this article that caught my eye. It was uh, published on the front page of the Times uh, a couple of days ago, on Wednesday, in fact, and uh, it uh, extolled the virtues of walking for good health and uh, warding of diabetes through walking. So uh, the research is based on uh, half a million people in Britain, America, and Japan, that it has been found that regardless of how far individuals walked, those who did so at a brisker pace were less likely to have diabetes diagnosed. And the study pooled data from previous studies in which activity and walking speed were monitored and compared that with records of diabetes uh, diagnosis. Now, uh, the uh, Times article said that every 0.6 miles per hour increase in walking pace above strolling at less than 2 miles per hour was linked to a 9% lower risk of diabetes. The average walking speed of 2 to 3 miles per hour was associated with a 15% lower risk and 3 to 4 miles an hour with a 24% lower risk, while striding at above 4 miles an hour, that's almost running, isn't it, uh, was linked to a 39% lower risk of the disease. Uh, The risk uh, reduction for the fastest category was equal to 2.24 fewer cases of type 2 diabetes in every 100 people. Globally, 537 million adults have type 2 diabetes, a figure expected to reach 783 million by 2045. The researchers said walking was a simple and inexpensive type of physical activity and is associated with several social, mental, and physical health benefits. So could be a useful way to stave off the disease. The threshold at which um, risk appeared lower, 2.5 miles an hour, is equivalent to 87 steps a minute for men, 
100 steps a minute for women. That's at least what the findings suggested. So brisk walk is good, apparently, according to this study. Um, I think from an Islamic angle, we know that uh, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, had a general disposition to walk briskly. Biographies uh, of the Prophet state that the nature of his walk was such that it was uh, it was not idle. It was as if somebody was descending from a high place. Uh, so, And the uh, founder of the Amni Muslim community was also a keen walker. Uh, and uh, so were his, uh, his successors, uh, including the President's Caliph, uh, uh, known for um, uh, uh, taking morning walks, uh, long morning walks. So with the practice of walking as part of a regular exercise being so prevalent among our leading spiritual guides, it's not surprising that research is bearing out its benefits as it does for so many other things when we examine them in detail. Still got a few minutes. Uh, there is something, I suppose, that can be mentioned regarding sport. Um, last week we were talking about... Um, the football player Harry Maguire and how his uh, form had become the subject of an exchange uh, f- for a, a whole year uh, in the parliament in Ghana. Um, uh, such has been his transformation during that period from one who was ridiculed uh, for his standard of play to one that has become a regular of his team. Um, that um, uh, this uh, transformation was um, sought with uh, the case of some, uh, or at least one of the um, uh, MPs that uh, was uh, serving in the government, uh, and uh, they were hoping for a similar transformation for him. But recently, uh, it is uh, now come as a surprise to some footballer pundits that he shortlisted for Player of the Month. Uh, his team may not be doing too well in the Champions League uh, with the hopes of progressing hanging by a thread. But the month of November has been kind to them. Uh, Garnacho, uh, one of their forwards, is likely to win goal of the month. Uh, it was a very spectacular goal uh, that uh, uh, has done the rounds again and again. Uh, and the manager, Eric Ten Hag, is tipped to win manager of the month. And believe it or not, the much maligned Maguire has been shortlisted for Player of the Month. Uh, great for Man U, uh, Man U fans, but only just. I doubt he will win it because I think uh, uh, the Manchester City winger, Doku, is uh, primed uh, to secure that Player of the Month stop. He has been indeed outstanding. Um, so that's uh, something, I think, of a lighter note that uh, we've been able to share. Um uh, <coughs> As-salamu alaykum, uh, Jalees. Uh, how are you? Mm? Wa alaykum as-salam. I'm very well. Thank you. Okay. Um, is your mic working? Um, I, think, I, I think it might be working now, yes. It's, it's I'm, working now. Yeah, I'm very well. Thank you for asking. Okay. Yeah. okay. It's, been, uh, it's a very cold morning. Uh, how, how have you fared? I mean, did you run? Did you run here or did you... Um, I, I had to run just a little bit, yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> just as well uh, yeah. keep you warm. Yeah, absolutely, um, yeah. Anything uh, happening that you want to share in the uh, Amdi Muslim community happening in your uh, department? Yep, yep, of course, of course. Um, so um, as as you're aware, there are prayers for peace events happening all over the UK. Mm. Um, this past week, there was one held in Edinburgh as well. Uh, mashallah, very successful. Um, a lot of guests attended that. And um, as um, as the agenda of the 
of the, of the event, you have the kids um, reciting a poem. Um, and mashallah, the, the, the kids in Edinburgh recited very beautifully. Uh, the week prior to that, um, Glasgow held one as well. And uh, it was the same. It was the it was it was an interfaith um, event where um, leaders from different faiths were invited. So um, a priest attended and a rabbi attended as well, um, as well as Bradford South. Um, Bradford South had uh, an interfaith um, prayers for peace event as well, mm-hmm. um, and uh, th- 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 that was also attended very beautifully by different guests. I think 150 guests came attended to uh, attended that one, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Inshallah, uh, this Sunday, um, mm. my Jamaat, um, Tahir Mosque, uh-huh. Tahir Mosque Jamaat, which is in Catford, uh-huh. um, they will be holding their prayers for a peace event as well. Okay. Um, so keep that in mind. Um, and inshallah, um, I pray for success and please do uh, please okay. do the same as well. Um, All right. Okay. Now, is the, the one in Scotland, was that in Dudley? It was in Edinburgh, the one Edinburgh. I was in Edinburgh. And the week prior, mm-hmm. uh, there was one in Glasgow as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, because I, d- I saw a report about a similar event in Dudley, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, um, I'm not sure whether it's the same mm-hmm. one, but it, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to be the same one. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Anyway, um, uh, I think it's time that we can move on because we can look at uh, now that is just gone past 7.30. We'll look at uh, the first of our main stories. Um, Imam Jalis will, of course, give us the, um, the Islamic angle to this, but... Um, this is regarding the um, uh, issue about uh, Guru Nanak and uh, the festival of uh, Guru Nanak Jayanti. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, now, the uh, gist of the story that it, we have um, uh, collated together, something that we, I think, picked up from the Standard uh, website. Uh, Gurpurab is one of the main Sikh festivals um, Sikhs carry out processions, visit Gurdwaras, places of I mean, their places of worship, and offer uh, prayers while conducting langas, where um, uh, food and drink is given to the needy. Uh, the um, what we will be exploring is the festival and uh, the celebrations uh, surrounding it. Uh, Guru Nanak Dev uh, Ji was a man of peace. Uh, he's a founder of Sikhism. He spent his life promoting equality and tolerance. He was born in 1469 in the village of Rai Bhai uh, the Talwandi. Uh, this is now called Nanankasab, near Lahore, which is now in Pakistan. Numerous hymns written by Guru Ranak were compiled by Guru Arjan uh, into the sacred scripture of Sikhism, Adi Granth, uh, Granth uh, when, the, when he traveled around India visiting holy places. The verses of the Guru Granth Sahib, the central holy religious scripture of Sikhism, focus on the idea that there is only one creator of the universe. They also promote um, altruistic uh, services to humanity. Now, uh, in keeping with um, the um, uh, the um, in keeping with uh, the celebrations that are going to be conducted, there was a message. Uh, from the Prime Minister uh, to Sikhs. Uh, He says that it gives me great pleasure to wish Sikhs across the UK and India and across the world a happy uh, Guru Purab. Uh, Today we celebrate the 554th anniversary of the birth of Guru Nanak Dev Ji, the founder of the Sikh religion. As somebody of Punjabi uh, Indian heritage, this day is especially dear to me. 
This joyous occasion is an opportunity to once again recognize the immense contribution of the Sikh community to our country. You're a source of pride and inspiration to us all. Wahe Guru Ji Ka Khalsa, Wahe Guru Ji Ki Fateh. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. So this is uh, um, a message from uh, uh, the uh, Prime Minister Guru. Uh, uh, Gurpurbs uh, are important because they follow Sikhs uh, or they allow Sikhs to celebrate the history of Sikhism and remember the religion's key beliefs and values. Uh, Gurpurbs uh, help Sikhs to strengthen their faith and remind them of the sacrifices the Gurus made. Gurpurbs are also important as they enable Sikhs uh, to share their faith with the wider community. This brings the Sangat together as a community. Gurpurbs are celebrated in many ways. Uh, celebration cards are exchanged, local competitions are organized, and special meals are arranged in the Langa. For many Gurpurbs, the, um, the uh, Guru Granth Sahib is carried in procession on a float by members of the Khalsa, Five Amritdari uh, Sikhs walk in front of the Guru Granth Sahib to present, uh, to represent the Panja Piyare. Um, following the procession, many people visit the Gurdwara and listen to reading of the Guru Granth Sahib. They also perform Kirtan uh, and offer Kara, uh, Kara Parshad uh, uh, throughout the uh, celebration. For Sikhism adherents, Guru uh, Nanak Jayanti is the most significant festival. It is celebrated to mark the anniversary of the first uh, Sikh Guru who played an important role in shaping and strengthening the Sikh community. So, um, there's much to say uh, about this. I think um, we share um, in the joy that um, Sikhs are feeling on this particular day. But... um, there's also a religious angle to this, uh, is there not, uh, Imam Jalis? Um, so yes. can you help us uh, yes. to cover that? Yes, absolutely. Um, well said, uh, Brother Valid. Um, the promised Messiah, um, mm-hmm. upon whom be peace, has 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 stated that we should um, look at those aspects in our religions that are similar and celebrate those instead of uh, nitpicking those that are different. So that's exactly what we should do over here. Sikhism is, I think we have a lot of similarities with Sikhism, if, if anything. Uh, Islam and Sikhism are very close. Um, and uh, with that, I would like to touch upon the, the unity of God in Sikhism. So the concept of God, uh, God is one, the only one, the one without a second. So these, the, the, these remarks, these are the most repeated observations contained in the Adi Granth, um, uh, which, is, which is the Holy Scripture. One could easily say, that the major subject of the Adi Granth is the description, glory and attributes of God. And as a result, Sikhism can be described as uncompromisingly monotheistic. As already mentioned, um, Guru Nanak believed in a personal God. So this is, the, this is of common knowledge whom, whom he worshipped and loved. Um, and this is... Uh, this is exactly that. This is exactly what we see uh, with, uh, with with Guru Nanak himself. He he um, he he, he worshipped he worshipped the one the, the one God. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at in in, in terms of prayer um, and what the Sikh um, community pray, um, it is it, it it is of common knowledge that meditation is very important in Sikhism. In Sikhism, and uh, prayer is also a central part of Sikh, uh, Sikh worship. 
And the word of prayer that they use is arzas, arzas. Mm-hmm. And um, although Hindu scholars take its origin from the root arz, and that means to beg or to ask, um, its immediate source could be from Persian as well. Um, and the word, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, it's uh, arzdasht. And, mm-hmm. and, and this means petition or address made by an inferior to a superior. Um, and the congregation stands as a mark of respect and humility facing the throne of Guru Granth Sahib, which is again the, the Holy Scripture that we, we, we have mentioned. That um, A man or woman of social status then comes forward to offer the prayer on behalf of the ga- uh, gathering. The prayer is in three parts. First, the six are told to remember God in the Gurus. Then the congregation is then told to keep the Guru Granth Sahib, the repository of God's word in mind as being the manifest form of guidance. Then the final section of Arzas is supplicatory. And God is asked to keep the Khalsa faithful, to bless the whole of mankind and listen to the individual prayers for the sick, the bereaved and the newly married. We see a lot of similarities here with the prayer of of of, of the Sikh community and, and, and Muslims. Mm. If, if anything, there are it's 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 extremely similar and uh uh yeah, it's it's extremely similar, and if if, if anything, it's the, the the prayer itself um, is is very reminiscent of the Islamic prayer that we that we offer as well, hmm. um, and 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 the prayer stands for being humility and being modest and 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 being united as well, and it's exactly what Islam stands for as well. Um, if 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 you touch upon Guru Nanak, um, the respected Guru Nanak um, himself. Um, we see that um, th- 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 there are certain um, claims you can say or evidences that would point towards him being a Muslim. Um, and this was further researched by the Promised Messiah, um, the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community, um, on whom be peace. And he decided to see um, there's a there's a chola, there's a, there's a garment that uh, mm-hmm. Guru Baba uh, Nanak Sahib, um, he used to he used to wear, and on this garment he it had writing written on it, and and and, and it was a language that the Sikh they they, they couldn't really um, understand, they couldn't really translate, mm-hmm. um, and um, the Prophet Messiah, uh, the Prophet Messiah, on whom be peace, he actually um, went to there's a place called Dera Baba Nanak, and that's the house of Baba Nanak. Personally, went there. He personally went there. Okay. Yeah, yeah he, right. he, he, he personally went there. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was on September 30th, um, 1895. Okay. And the custodians um, of the Chola, of, the, of this garment, did not know what was written on it. And the custodians found it unusual that one should be so interested in seeing the Chola, an original. Um, because they, they, they had obviously kept it safe. They didn't really want to um, uh, show it in the open. So the keeper who was paid um, just, to, just, just, just to show... Um, mm. The garment. Um, there were other people. There was a, there was a delegation that went to. So this cloak was actually covered by other cloaks. It it, it, it was it was by itself. So the cloak okay. it was by itself. But I think they kept it separate. They kept it safe. Okay. They kept it um, right. just to um, uh, safeguard uh, okay. the, the. So they didn't protect it by putting other cloaks on it. No, no, no. Or other they, other clothes on it. No, no. no, no. It, was, it, it was it was just by itself. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, yeah, so the. The, the so the Prophet Messiah on whom be peace he he went and he copied the writings he copied whatever was written on the on, on the garment uh-huh. and uh, um, yeah he so he he copied it down and then at that point it was openly declared 
that Islam was the only true religion and Muhammad was the messenger of God. Well, so, that's what was inscribed on the cloak. There Is were, that what you're saying? So, so, so there were different um, prayers lit, written on on the on the. On, on the cloak itself, yeah. it was it was it was a cloak. I, th- I think that's a good translation. Yeah. It, was, it was a cloak. Yeah. So different transcriptions of prayers and uh, different um, Arabic. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think prayers were uh, uh, Quranic verses as well. Hmm. Quranic verses as well hmm. writ- were written on this cloak. Hmm. And uh, uh, yeah, um, there were other th- uh, written. Um, oh, sorry, there were other things written on it as well, uh, apart from prayers. Um, apart from that, uh, if. Oh, I've lost my. Yeah, so <clears throat> so some incentive was given to the custodian to uh, show this. Yes. And uh, when it was shown, then uh, this is uh, what was found that they were uh, Arabic uh, verses. Yep. Um, uh, from the Quran, and you're saying other verses as well. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Other prayers. Absolutely. Uh, the the custodians themselves, they didn't really understand what the significance was, mm. and uh, they were a bit bewildered. Why, why, why would someone come all this way just to mm. um, read some things that they, they thought they were uh, they, they thought they were insignificant? But it turned out they were extremely significant um, in the claim of um, mm-hmm. Baba Nanak. Mm-hmm. Um, afterwards, it was also it was also shown that he went to Mecca as well to perform pilgrimage, and he also did. Um, he also performed a thing that's called Chilakashi. Chilakashi translates to um, a holy supplication um, that you that, that that you perform in solitude. So okay. so you go uh, in in, sol- in in solitude and mm-hmm. you pray and you supplicate to okay and mm-hmm. um, supplicate to God yes. and. Uh, uh, Baba Nanak performed these um, in, at, at various locations as well. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, afterwards, it was also known that he also got married into a Muslim family as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yes, he, 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 he performed Hajj as well. And uh, it, it was mentioned that he actually went to Mecca and he performed Azan as well. Azan is the call for prayer. Uh-huh. Azan is the call for prayer in Islam. And, mm-hmm. he, and, he, and, he, and he recited that as well. There are other narrations as well um, that, you can, that you can interpret in different ways. Uh, narrations are such that the Meccans actually spoke to Baba Nanak in Punjabi. Um, uh, in, j- 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 during his visit to Mecca, he, he met um, in, his, in, he, in, in, in Revelation or in dreams, he met a lot of uh, Muslim saints and uh-huh. Muslim, uh, yes, Muslim saints that uh, have, have, have passed away. Uh-huh. Um, um, but yes, uh, they, okay. th- and there was this uh, special booklet that he kept with himself. Absolutely, tell us about, yes. about that. So uh, yes, absolutely. So th- th- this booklet that he kept um, with him uh, all the time, it was mm. actually a small um, transcription of uh, prayers and uh, verses of the Holy Quran. Uh-huh. And this is something that uh, the Prophet Messiah, on, on whom be peace, um, also stumbled upon, and, mm. and 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 this was also used as a proof that mm. uh, the. That Guru Nanak was actually um, a, a Muslim, a practicing mm-hmm. Muslim, that uh, w- one who actually recited the Holy Quran, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, one who actually uh, followed the, the 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 pillars of Islam as uh-huh. well, um, uh-huh. uh, performing Hajj, which is a which is a vital pillar of yes. Islam. Yeah. Yes. So yes. yes, definitely. Yeah. Okay, and then uh, the Promised Messiah did he um, um, <coughs> consolidate his findings in any way? Yes, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he, he wrote a book uh, called uh, Sat Bachan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Do you know what Sat Bachan means? Uh, Seven something? Yes, absolutely. What uh, is Bachan? 
I, I, huh? I, I, I had it here, but it's, okay. it's gone now. Right. Yeah. Maybe somebody can ring in and tell us, yes? Yes, absolutely, okay. yeah. Uh-huh. Definitely, yeah. Okay. So he wrote a book that uh, basically consolidated his findings and the fact that um, uh, there was this allegiance to Islam absolutely. that was displayed by the uh, the founder of Sikhism. Yes, absolutely. Um, and that he was very much, yeah. I mean, as the Sikh religion is, very much uh, a monotheist um, and uh, not given to, uh, he was born a Hindu, he was born in a yep. Hindu household, wasn't he? Yep. So he yep. wasn't definitely. given to polytheism at all. Definitely, definitely, yeah. yeah. So he did change. Yeah. This is what uh, Sat- I think, yes. Yeah, Sadvachan means the true word. Sat- true bachan. word, yeah, Achha, yeah. Bachan means yeah. word. Yeah. Okay, the, the true, true word. word. Yeah, the true okay. word, yeah. Okay, right, okay, that's interesting. So well, nothing to do with seven. No, okay. nothing to okay. do with seven, okay. yeah. Right. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. Um, Okay, very. Uh, we spoke to um, um, uh, one of uh, our imams in Canada, uh, Ansar Raza, and uh, I think we've just got about time to listen to what he had to say before the eight o'clock news. Here it is. So we have with us today at the Voice of Islam radio station Imam Ansar Raza, who is a missionary of the um, the Muslim community currently serving in Canada. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you for joining us today at the Voice of Islam radio station. Wa alaikum and thanks for having me. Uh, now we're looking at the topic of Sikhism for this particular segment. Um, and uh, my, my first question to you, Imam Sarraza, is that what is the Sikh belief about God? If you can please explain that. Sikhism is, uh, beside Islam, is the second religion uh, which uh, believes exclusively in monotheism, that is in one God, mm. and, uh, besides Judaism. So Judaism and Islam, these are two Abrahamic religions which believe in uh, one true God. And uh, beside them, these two religions, Sikhism uh, is the one which also believes uh, in a God. And uh, when we study Guru Granth Sahib, uh, we will see that uh, almost all of the attributes of God, uh, which have been mentioned in the Holy Quran, they are uh, in Guru Granth Sahib. And uh, it shows that Baba Guru Nanak Sahib was uh, very much impressed from Islam and he had studied the Holy Quran. So their concept of God is very much similar to the concept of God in Islam. Absolutely. Thank you for that. And also, what is the Sikh teaching on Seva? Uh, you mean uh, Seva, yeah. Seva uh, is uh, like service to, to mankind. And uh, this is uh, also a very unique uh, concept uh, in, in Sikhism beside Islam and it again shows that how much Bhagavad Nanak Sahib was impressed from Islam. Sikhs serve the humanity uh, without any expectation of reward rather they consider it as a favor to them that somebody is giving them the opportunity to serve them and they are not uh, asking other people to give them any kind of reward or being grateful to them, rather they are grateful to the people. And this is exactly 
what has been mentioned in Surah Ad-Dahar, chapter 76 of the Holy Quran, verses 9 and 10, wherein Allah Ta'ala says, uh, showing the attributes of uh, true believers, that And they feed for love of Him, means the love of God, the poor, the orphan, and the prisoner. And they say, إِنَّمَا نُطْئِمُكُمْ لِوَجْهِ اللَّهِ لَا نُرِيدُ مِنْكُمْ جَزَاءً وَلَا شُكُورًا Saying, we feed you for Allah's pleasure only. We desire no reward, nor thanks from you. And this is exactly what has been mentioned in Guru Granth Sahib or in the concept of seva uh, among the six. No, thank you for that. You've mentioned uh, some similarities between um, Guru Granth and uh, you know some of the teachings of Islam as well. If, if you could also share some uh, some more main teachings of Guru Nanak as well. Uh, Guru Nanak Sahib was. Uh, uh, a Sufi saint. In the beginning, he was born uh, in a Hindu family, but he was very much uh, fed up of all those Hindu teachings and Hindu practices. And then he studied Islam, and he became uh, a Sufi saint. And he, uh, you know, uh, accepted uh, Islam. This is mentioned uh, by the Prophet Sallallahu uh, in his uh, very famous book, Sat Bachan, means the true words. And in that book, uh, he has uh, done three things, like uh, the rebuttal of the allegations by Swami Dhyanan Satswati to uh, Guru uh, Narasayad, and also uh, explaining the similarities uh, of uh, Islam and the and the concept mentioned by Guru Granth Sahib, and also, uh, you know, these days we we hear so many mythological and superficial tales from the biography of uh, Guru Nanak Sahib that he uh, went to Makkah and the Kaaba turned toward him, and mm-hmm. so many other superficial tales. So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi has uh, mentioned uh, these three points uh, in his book. Uh, uh, there was also a person uh, who was a British missionary. Uh, he uh, came to India in 1865 and remained there till 1884. Uh, his name was Thomas Patrick Hughes. He was a British missionary. And mm. uh, he wrote a book, Dictionary of Islam, wherein one full chapter was uh, devoted to Sikhism. It's a very lengthy article. And uh, the Prophet has also mentioned him uh, in this book, Sadbachan, uh, about the, the work of uh, Thomas Patrick Hughes. And he has mentioned uh, quite a few times, and uh, he also uh, mentioned Dr. Trump, who was the first translator of Guru Granth Sahib uh, into English. And uh, on many occasions he has mentioned that... Uh, this is also a, a false uh, concept or, or a myth that Guru Granth Sahib was trying to make a reconciliation between uh, Islam and Hinduism. As a matter of fact, uh, he was not trying to bring these two religions close to each other, 
but he was uh, mentioning that Islam is the true religion, and uh, he uh, was, uh, you know, not happy with the uh, false practices of Hindus and as well as the uh, mullahs of that time. He was also very much critical about them, that uh, what these people are doing, uh, uh, they are against their own holy scriptures, and, and these are not correct. So the similarity uh, was uh, so much that uh, our uh, own uh, Gani Vadullah Sahib and Gani Vadisan Sahib, they have written uh, much about these things, mentioning the similarity that he has praised uh, Islam in Guru Guran Sahib and he has praised Quran and he was uh, like, you know, offering uh, five daily prayers and all those practices which are mentioned in, uh, in Quran and in the Sunnah of the Prophet he was all doing it. So as a matter of fact, uh, he, he was uh, a Muslim saint. A uh, few years back, I wrote an article which is uh, on Islam.org as well, that Baba Guru Nanak, a Muslim saint. Hmm. And uh, another article about Sikhism, uh, I, I wrote a few years back, was the history of compilation of Guru Granth Sahib. So these two articles, if uh, one is interested, they can go to Islam.org and find these two articles. And therein, it is mentioned in great detail uh, how Baba Guru Nanak was a Muslim, not only by uh, the saying of the Prophet but by also other uh, non-Muslim people, as I mentioned, uh, Thomas Patrick Hughes and uh, uh, Dr. Trump as well. Thank you for that, Imam Ansar Raza. I think just uh, you've mentioned uh, from the writings of the Promised Messiah, peace be upon us, or Satpachan. Can you also explain a bit about um, Chola Baba Nanak and also the the um, the pilgrimage um, Guru Baba Nanak, which he undertook towards uh, Makkah as well? And so just some evidence which shows that uh, Guru Baba Nanak, he had actually accepted Islam. Yeah, as uh, as I mentioned, that in, in Sadbachan, Hazur has uh, mentioned in, in great detail, and uh, that book uh, consisted of three points, uh, as I mentioned. Uh, one was to uh, refuting the allegations leveled by Swami Dhyanand and clearing mythological and superficial tales from his biography and proving that Baba Nanak was a Muslim saint. Now, as far as the Chola is concerned, it is a great evidence in itself, because it was not uh, uh, the property of uh, Muslims, but uh, it was uh, owned and preserved by Sikhs themselves. Mm. And uh, if, if one uh, w- goes to see that Chola, one will find the Quranic uh, verses are written all over there and the Kalama and so many other verses of the Holy Quran are written over there. So uh, it cannot be denied by anyone because if it were in the position of uh, Muslims, then uh, people would have said that, you know, they wrote it and they are saying that this is so love but It was for a long time, uh, for centuries rather, uh, in the position of uh, Sikh people and also one particular family and they were all always in their possession and they never gave it to anyone so uh, many people have gone after Hazur 
made this announcement and has revealed this fact that if you go and see Chola Baba Nanak, and also in uh, in very uh, many biographies which are called Janam Sakis of uh, Baba Guru Nanak, it is mentioned that he went to uh, Makkah and on his way to Makkah from India, uh, he stayed in some Muslim countries as well. For example, he went to Iraq, uh, he went to uh, city of Iraq, Baghdad, and he uh, toured the the shrine of Hazrat Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jilani, and uh, many uh, incidents or events of uh, his journey are recorded in history, and they are also preserved uh, by Sikh uh, historians and biographers. So there, there is no uh, reputation uh, that he didn't go there or he didn't uh, accept Islam. It is all evident from Chola Baba Nanak. It's also evident from Guru Granth Sahib even. And as I said, Jani uh, Badullah Sahib and Jani Vajrasan Sahib, who were two prominent uh, scholars who studied uh, Sikhism, and they, they were from uh, Sikh religion, Jani Vajrasan Sahib, and he accepted them at the end, and then he started working on it, and uh, he has written uh, many books, many articles, which were published in Al-Furqan sometime. Great. Thank you so much, uh, Imam Ansaraza, for taking your time out and share, shedding light on this very important subject. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Right, um, yeah, that was um, um, a discussion with Ansaraza, who um, contends that uh, uh, as the promised Messiah, the founder of the Abdi community, uh, uh, declared that um, uh, Guru Baba Nanak was in fact uh, a Muslim. Um, we'll be continuing with this uh, particular topic later on uh, during the course of this broadcast after the 8 o'clock news. Uh, it's half a minute to go for that. Um, and after that, uh, 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 we will be looking at the second of our main stories, which is regarding war and the uh, rules and regulations concerning war when it comes to Islam. Uh, what is the Islamic teaching on attitudes to war? That's what we'll be covering uh, later on during the course of this program. If you have uh, anything to say, anything to uh, uh, raise, then please uh, feel free. 0208 is the number. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show of the Voice of Islam with uh, Imam Jalis uh, and uh, myself, Walid Ahmed. Uh, the time is uh, just gone uh, two minutes past eight, in fact. Uh, uh, and it's Friday, the 20, uh, it's Friday the 1st of December 2023. We were discussing uh, the uh, first of our main topics. This is uh, regarding uh, Baba Nanak. Uh, and we have some keen listeners. Uh, Mubashir Chima called in and he said that uh, there may have been an error when we said that uh, the founder of the Amaliyah Muslim community himself visited uh, to examine the uh, cloak that uh, Baba Nanak used to wear that, in fact, when was discovered to have imprinted upon it, or shall I say written upon it, uh, verses of the Holy Quran and other uh, prayers. But... Um, 
you disagree, don't you, um, Imam Jalis? What what exactly is the is the is, is the issue here? Because Mubashir Chima, Mr. Mubashir Chima, is saying that he didn't go. It was uh, he sent a delegation. Yes, um, of course. Uh, I think this is a, a slight mis, um, misconception, maybe a little bit of a misunderstanding uh-huh. um, as well. Um, the, the, I, I guess um, respected uh, Mubashir Chima is, is, is correct in, in, in one aspect, that he didn't, that the promised Messiah on whom be peace didn't go the first time. Um, I would like to clarify this, that the promised Messiah on whom be peace, um, he sent a delegation, yes, he sent a delegation firsthand to examine the, the cloak of Baba Nanak Uh Um, and then after close examination and research was done on what was actually written on the cloak he went himself Uh with with a delegation as well Uh of of 10 people and and the names of these uh, these 10 people are actually written Uh um, in his book The True Word Sad Bachchan and these um, these these companions of the Prophet Messiah uh, Uh on whom be peace includes um, the first caliph of Uh, right. The Ahmadi Muslim community it includes um, uh, Hazrat Muhammad Ahsan Sahib Amrohi, yeah. um, Hazrat uh, Munshi Ghulam Qadir Sahib. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, the, the list goes on. Is, 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 what about Monri Abdul Karim? He was a prominent companion. Was he there? Uh, no? Abdul Rahim Sahib, yep. Abdul Karim? Uh, Abdul Rahim. Ah. Sheikh Abdul Rahim. Okay. Uh, Muhammad Ismail uh-huh. Dehelvi. Uh-huh. Uh, Abdul Karim Sahib 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 Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, okay. yep, he was there. Uh, okay. Sheikh, Sheikh Rahmatullah Gujarati. Uh-huh. Um, Hazrat Mirza Ayub Baig Sahib. Uh-huh. Uh, Hazrat Mir Nasir Nawab Sahib. Right. And then Sheikh Ahmed Ali. Um, yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. Yeah, so you're saying that there, there, were, there was more than one visit. Yes. And uh, uh, the first was perhaps... Uh, did was not the uh, founder of the community himself, yes. but the second was. Second was, yeah. And was also relevant, I think, in the in the book, in the introduction of the book mm-hmm. that he wrote, mm-hmm. he talks about going there himself. So the the visit that you mentioned, thirtieth mm-hmm. of September, That's the one, yeah. was one that included him. Yes. He led that uh, that visit. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So uh, that particular controversy has been resolved. Yes. <laughs> well done. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think you did it. Uh, uh, in great speed, so you must uh, you must uh, must have known your stuff anyway. Thanks for that. All right. So I hope uh, um, uh, our caller Mubashir um, is uh, is happy with that explanation. Mr. Mubashir Jima is happy with that explanation. If not, do call in and uh, um, explain uh, and uh, uh, let us know as to why you disagree. Um, right. Let's move on. Um, uh, we have. Um, let me just see. Do we have another caller? Is there anything else you want to add from a, a, a religious point of view? Yes, yes, of course. Um, if you just bear with me for just a second. So we we are going to be uh, continuing this discussion for another 10 minutes. Um, so if you do want to call in, then please uh, do uh, do so. Do pick up the phone and uh, share your thoughts with us. And uh, um, tell us what you think about anything that we may have been discussing. Uh, we do have um, another. Um, uh, we do have another um, an, another uh, clip that we want to play, but uh, that we may wait for that uh, till later. 
uh, Imam Jalis, have you got yes. your, your stuff uh, yes. that you want yes. to share? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I just uh-huh. wanted to um, again touch upon uh, the Sikh religion itself, a very beautiful religion, uh-huh. um, uh, specifically about the, the places of worship. Uh, their places of worship are called Gurudwaras. Uh-huh. And uh, the Gurudwara, if you if you break down the meaning of Gurudwara itself, Guru, um, it, it, Gurudwara literally means Guru's door. And this illustrates the significance. This illustrates the significance that the Gurudwara has in Sikhism, as the place, uh, this the the place that Sikhs go to seek knowledge about how to live a moral and spiritual life. Mm. We see that it has also been stated that uh, Baba Nanak. Um, this is something that we actually mentioned previously uh, regarding about how how uh, Baba Nanak went to Mecca. Um, dressed in blue clothes as a Muslim saint with a prayer mat in his hand. And I also previously mentioned that he also um, uh, performed azan, which is the call for prayer, hmm. in, 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 in Mecca. Um, and he sat in the mosque for prayers. And this is all the research that was done by the Prophet Messiah and Humbi Peace. And uh, later on, the discovery um, is um, m- mentioned about the, the chilla, the, 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 the prayers that are done in seclusion for 40 days. It's a religious seclusion that you do. Um, right. And uh, this was actually done in various places. Um, at Sirsa, um, there's a place, there's a small building which is known as an adjunct to the chilla nanak. At Multan as well, mm-hmm. um, uh, there's a shrine called Shah Shams Tabrez. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly this is the place where um, this is where um, he also performed his um, supplicationary uh, uh, seclusion prayers. Right. So um, all these all these things point did well did point towards that uh, Guru Sahib was in fact okay. um, 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 a Muslim. I also wanted uh-huh. to clarify that on his cloak, um, the thing that really um, made the Prophet Messiah on Nubi peace um, go to. Um, uh, go to uh, uh, go to Dera Baba Nanak, the place mm-hmm. of Baba Nanak, was the fact that the the, the first delegation that he sent, um, the discovery that came out was that on his cloak, um, the, the Kalma Shahada was actually written, ah, and the Kalma okay. Shahada is is one of those um, is, is is a statement that uh, Muslims use to. Um, uh, to is a distinctive um, phrase that mm. Muslims use to prove. Or to show or to display their their allegiance to God Almighty. Yeah. yeah. So um, uh, the the, the Kalma Shahada is literally a word, um, a phrase of dedication towards mm-hmm. God Almighty, okay. which means that uh, there. Uh, so it, it translates to um, there is no God but He, La ilaha illallah. And uh, it, it goes on to say that uh, that the Holy Prophet Muhammad, on who, uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, mm. is his prophet. So this yeah. was written on the cloak. Right, remarkable. Anyway, um, we do um, because of the belief in one God, we and the emphasis on that. Um, it is very much thought that uh, Guru Baba Nanak actually uh, was a Muslim and preached Islam. Um, now, on that particular topic about oneness of God, there is this uh, uh, <coughs> this clip that perhaps would be useful. So don't go away. Writings of the Promised Messiah, alayhi salam. In order to establish the oneness of God, it is of utmost importance that one should love God to one's full capacity. And this love cannot be verified unless it reaches its perfection in a practical form. It cannot be proved with lip profession. You know, 
If somebody just talks of sugar, he cannot find the taste of sweetness in his mouth. Or, if somebody expresses the feeling of friendship, but does not help his friend in times of need, he cannot be called a true friend. Likewise, if somebody just talks of the oneness of God, but does not love him as he should, it cannot be of any avail. What I really mean is that practice is very important along with the precept. That is why it is necessary that you should dedicate your lives in the way of God. And this is the real Islam for which I have been sent to the world. Thus, he who does not come near this fountain that God has made to flow is very unfortunate. Right, uh, so that was uh, a clip uh, about the oneness of God and establishing the oneness of God. Uh, we also talked to uh, um, Harinder uh, Singh um, earlier, uh, and this is what he had to say about uh, the topic of uh, Guru Baba Nanak and uh, the festivals that Sikhs uh, celebrate. So we are very pleased to have with us Mr. Harinder Singh, um, and he serves as the senior Fellow Research and Policy at the Sikh Research Institute. Um, and also, he co-founded the Sikh Research Institute and the Punjab Digital Library, organized the free Akal Takht movement. Thank you for joining us today at the Voice of Islam radio station. My pleasure, Mr. Ahmed. Now, we know that November is a very significant uh, month uh, in the calendar for the Sikh community. I, I wanted to ask, please can you give us some insight to the early life of Guru Nanak? Sure. So the first part of his life, uh, he uh, the first 30 years, if I may call it that, 1469 to 1499, is that when he's born, what's happening in his family, so his elder sister, who was named Bebe Nanki, Bebe means elder sister. He had an incredibly close relationship with her. In fact, she is the one who is also named like Nanak with an I at the end. But she's the one who uh, first realized the divinity of Guru Nanak, that there was something special going on. He had an incredibly close relationship with his mother, Mata Tripta, and his father, Mata Kalu, who was more worried about, as you can imagine, what the teenager sons are up to in terms of getting him the, the right job or vocation. Uh, in those days, uh, marriages happened at a quite early age. Uh, so his wife was named Mata Sulakhani. He had an incredibly uh, tight relationship with her such that he was able to start his journeys. And he did have two sons, Sri Chand and Lakmi Das, uh, who eventually actually both rebelled against him and he uh, still maintained a very personal uh, relationship with it. So that's at the family level. The town he was born in, today it's called Nankana Sahib, which is in the Punjab, West Punjab, which is on the Pakistan side. And the local ruler, his name is Rai Bular. He's a local chief. And the relationship he has with the local chief while he is growing up in the town is incredible as well. They have conversations, they have meals together, he eventually ends up assigning many things from jobs to lands and other things in the name of Guru Nanak as well. Uh, at the time, it was called Rai Poedi Talwandi. Today, it's called Nankana Saab. So Nankana Saab gets on the world map uh, because 
the town was founded in the name of the local rulers and Guru Nanak is having incredible conversations with them. At the same time, I'll mention two other things that while he's growing up, he has various teachers, you know, people who teach languages, math, religion. So most of them are pundits and Qazis and he, pundits are coming primarily from the Hindu background, Qazis are coming from the Muslim background. So his conversations are not just about the religions and languages, including Arabic and Sanskrit, but they are also very reflective. So the uh, basically today what we call not just what and how questions, but lots of why questions and imaginative questions. And lastly, I do want to mention Pai Mardana, who ends up becoming, he, they grow up in the same town, they become incredibly good friends, uh, to the level, well, Pai Mardana, Pai literally means brother, that's what Sikhs lovingly call him, who was of a Muslim background, he becomes his companion in all his journeys. So he's the friend, he is the friend of uh, Guru Nanak. So this is his early childhood where relationships at home are pretty tight, you know, depending from Baby Nanki being the foremost one, recognizing his uh, divinity to conversations with the rulers, the experts, the pundits and the Qazis and companionship with Pai Mardana. Great, thank you so much for that. And also moving the conversation more into the significance of Guru Baba Nanak in Sikhism, if you can also elaborate on that, please. Oh, absolutely. So uh, he is the founder. He is the founder of Sikhi. Uh, that's the word Sikhs prefer to use instead of Sikhism. Um, he's the founder of the faith. He's the one who connected us with the one and not with himself. And this is a major differentiation with and maybe even a departure from major world traditions and religions and faith systems. So he's connecting us with what we call Shabbat, which is infinite wisdom. Uh, it is, he's connecting us with the expanse of the Sabbath, which literally is a combination of the word and the sound. So how we enunciate certain things and how we have knowledges of certain ideas, but not just any idea or philosophy or mystery, but one which is infinite and which is perfect. So Guru Nanak is, in that sense, the founder of the faith, but not central to Sikhs even today, because he said, my guru, which means his teacher, his master, his prophet, the perfect genius which existed for Guru Nanak was of the Sabbath. This is very, very important, which means for Sikhs even today, Sabbath is what matters most, which essentially is the wisdom, infinite wisdom, the perfect genius contained within the, the Barnis or the traditions which we have been captured, uh, the scriptural traditions or the manifestos as we call them today called Guru Granth Sahib. The other thing to keep in mind about the significance of Guru Nanak is, although the popular phrase as uh, Mr. Ahmed as you use is Guru Baba Nanak, uh, the phrase which is used in our tradition, including in the documented uh, proofs and evidences in Guru Granth Sahib, which is where the Bani is, the Shabbat is, the word used is that he did not start a new religion. He started a new Raj. Raj is an indigenous word in South Asia, which means something which is at minimum governance, and at the highest level it means the rule. So this was not a starting off and a religion with a lowercase r. This was a starting off a new system, new rule. And this is very, very important because when you think of Raj, it's a very political word. Well, you know, because the word British Raj may come to people's mind. 
But when Sikhs today use this, or those who are studying Sikhs are using the word religion, they're actually creating this uh, sort of a dichotomy between the religion, religious and the political, whereas Guru Nanak is both. And this is very, very important. And one way we know that is, uh, because this is the word which was used within our scriptural traditions. And the way he selected the next in line, the next Guru Sahib, as we call him, uh, it was also based on only one criteria, the one who is equally graced with the divine virtues. And the word used for them, even today, is Satcha the true sovereign, or Mahalla, which means the embodiment of the divine. So significance of Guru Nanak is that he is the founder of the faith, who connected uh, all seekers to the infinite wisdom, the term is Sabad, and he did not start just a new religion, he started a new Raj, and the next in line was selected while he was alive, so there would be no disputes, and that leadership criteria was based on divine virtues. Thank you for that, that's uh, very interesting. Um, also, if you can also explain, how does a daily routine uh, in, involve for someone from who is from Sikh, uh, Sikh faith um, look like in relation to the teachings of Guru Nanak? No, absolutely. So one of the things which comes to the routine is that there were 10 gurus. So Guru Nanak was first, the founder, and there were 10 in line. We call them the 10 sovereigns or the 10 Guru Sahibs. And the routine gets obviously, there is a expanse and the development in between 1469 to 1708, when the last uh, of the Guru Sahib slipped, uh, or departed this earth rather. On, during that time, which started from the time of Guru Nanak, there has been exact same ideal. And the ideal was, if I may present it at two levels, which is how it's even captured in, uh, in the articulations in 20th century, and even in English, in terms of what the code of conduct of six are. So first part is the personal connection with the one, with the Ekovankar. That's the phrase Guru Nanak used. This was his unique contribution, or rather declaration. That's the phrase he used called Ik Oankar, which literally actually means there is only one force, the force which is creative and pervasive. So as a routine, each seeker who identifies with Guru Nanak, be it Sikh or a non-Sikh, be it religious or non-religious, they personally connect with that force, which is not equivalent to Judeo-Christian heritage of the word God, but it includes that idea, but it is not exclusive to that, because the word God is not used here. The word uses Omkar, which is the creative and the pervasive force. So living in intimate remembrance of a Omkar, of the force, of the one force, not just a Sunday worship or a daily ritual, that's one personal thing each seeker does who identifies with Guru Nanak. And as an extension of that, there's a public connection with the one. And that public connection comes by serving selflessly, to en uh, serving anyone and everyone who reminds us as an embodiment of the creation and creator in this world, which essentially is that in Sikh faith, according to Guru Nanak, there is no separation between the creator and the creation. So to serve the creator is to serve the creation. So the two ideas are uh, living in intimate remembrance of the one force, the Kuankar, and as a reminder and extension of that, to serve selflessly all without zero discrimination, all in creation, and that is to serve the creator.
Thank you. And also I wanted to ask you, especially with regards to this particular month, uh, within the Sikh faith, what is it that is celebrated, if you can also elaborate on that? Sure. Um, traditionally, it marks the arrival of Guru Nanak on this earth, um, which would be, uh, as I mentioned earlier, at Nankanasa, that's the today's mm -hmm. name. Uh, yes. At the time, it was called Rai Poedi Talwandi in the Western Punjab in Pakistan. So that's what Sikhs are doing. Now, largely, though, which I do want to mention, uh, we don't have an idea of celebration of birth. That's the term which is being used in English these days. The indigenous term, or the term Sikhs use, is Prakash Puru. And I want to explain that a little bit, because Prakash actually means illumination. And Puru means the day. So marking the illumination day, which means the life and death is not as important to the Sikhs as articulated by Guru Nanak himself. What is most important is the illumination, the wisdom, you know, the Shabbat which he shared with us, which means, you know, what is the paradigm and how do I make that paradigm personal and how do I connect to the one, as I described earlier, uh, at a personal capacity and then serving the one in public capacity. So marking of that is a reminder to all Sikhs and non-Sikhs who celebrate Guru Nanak to focus really on the Prakash, the illumination, the wisdom, not the birth itself. And, and so on this particular day, um, how do you, how do you uh, remember the day? Do you look at the qualities of Guru Nanak, of what he did throughout his life? How, how do you celebrate this particular day? That's right. So it's like any other celebration. There are varieties of it. The number one thing which matters as a reminder is, as I said, the Prakash, the wisdom, which means we sing those Shabads. We sing his wisdom. And this is very, very important in Sikh tradition from Guru Nanak himself, who's, uh, because uh, the Bhai Mardana, who I referenced earlier, he was a musician, and they sang together. So singing the wisdom is how we really mark this day. Now, in addition to that, uh, there are historical narratives, exhibitions, serving langars, which is a free distribution of food primarily, but in the uh, in the last 554 years now, which is the journey of Guru Nanak on this earth so far, uh, it has gone on to take other shapes. You know, some people offer uh, services in terms of to, like in U.S. and Canada and U.K., you might see it not just being food. It might be some immigration services to providing whatever else it might mean. So mm -hmm. people mark it in their own way. The idea is to distribute, you know, so distribution is not just of the food, which is what gets marked the most, because we must realize that hunger is still a problem, and Guru Nanak dealt with that even at his time. But it is beyond just the physical food. The idea is really distribution. Uh, distribution is for physical sustenance. Distribution is for emotional or mental sustenance. Uh, and distribution is also for intellectual sustenance. But many of the things these now from immigration rights to human rights to civil rights, so people are distributing their intellect and their uh, wealth in those areas as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, just one last question before we do let you go. And this itself is a very um, long uh, question, as in 
it's, it is a very long question, but if you can briefly explain what was the mission of Guru Nanak and how did this start? How was it initiated? Sure. Uh, the mission as articulated in Guru Granth Sahib, which again is the scriptural canon of the Sikhs, which means this is where we have the most authentic accounts of Guru Nanak, and it is free from mythological hazes, you know, because those do develop over time as well. Uh, so this is sort of like a manifesto or the charter for the Sikhs. In Guru Granth Sahib, it actually has a very clear answer on this. It says the mission of Guru Nanak was Ik Naam Taram, the principle of one identification, which means identifying with the one. This was what Guru Nanak came on this earth for, and this is how he got rid of the darkness or the ignorance. So uh, how did he do this? Well, he did it by personally experiencing the Kovankar first, experiencing the now. He did it through interfaith dialogues with both Hindus and Muslims from Saudi Arabia to Sri Lanka. He did this by establishing the Sikh center at Kartarpur, which is the city he founded, so these new policies for the new paradigm can create a new reality in a new community, which is what the Sikhs call Panth, the collective that follows the way of the Nanak, of Guru Nanak Sahib. So this was the mission. The mission was essentially, if I may put it in today's paradigm, it is what I like to explain as being, it was a love and justice paradigm. It is where the spiritual and the political were not two separate things, but they came together as one. This is not where you're talking about only principles, but you're also setting up systems of governance and rule as well. And one incident I can cite in that is, uh, in 1526, in his reality, uh, there is a genocidal campaign in, uh, uh, conducted by, in Sadhpur, which is again in Punjab and Pakistan side today, where Mughal Emperor Babur, this happened in 1526. Mm. Guru Nanak is the only one who is giving voice to the genocidal campaign at that time. He's documenting all the violations in his Shabbats, which are in Guru Granth Sahib, especially all the violence against women, both Hindu women and Muslim women. And within Hindu women, he especially also documents the violations against women of the so-called low caste as well, because nobody would document that. So he organized the resistance voices uh, infused with one now, this idea of a Kuankar in force while he was jailed because he was jailed for voicing it. So this is the real Guru Nanak, which is way beyond the contemporary art or the poster arts. The real Guru Nanak is where lovingly dealing with each and every single person on this earth as being a divine individual. So today, last week, we crossed 8 billion people. Today, that means Guru Nanak believed every single individual, regardless of their gender, their background, their religiosity is divine. And then fighting for their rights and giving voice to the most disenfranchised. That's the real Guru Nanak. Thank you so much, uh, Brother Harinder Singh. On this particular subject, you've explained it very beautifully and I've really enjoyed this interview. So thank you so much for coming on the Voice of Islam radio station and sharing your expertise on this particular subject. Thank you. Anytime. My pleasure. Right, so that was uh, Mr. Harinder Singh, as mentioned, uh, talking to Imam Toki Khan uh, earlier. 
uh, and um, we were sharing what he had to say on this topic. Uh, very comprehensive interview, I must say. Uh, we have to move on because uh, time is pressing uh, and look at uh, the second of our main topics. So our lines are open. Uh, if you do have anything to offer, anything to get off your chest uh, regarding what we've already covered, then please do so. Ring uh, 0208-687-7878 is the number. Twitter handle, or should I say the X handle, is Voice of Islam UK, if you want to use that method to uh, communicate your thoughts uh, to us. The uh, second of our main topics uh, that we were going to cover uh, this morning was regarding war. Uh, what is the Islamic teaching on attitudes to war? Now, according to Al Jazeera, uh, now this is... Uh, there are about 5,200 Palestinians in Israeli uh, prisons prior there were uh, 5,200 Palestinians in Israeli prisons prior to October 7th when the Palestinian uh, armed resistance group Hamas launched an attack on Israel, which uh, responded almost immediately with a relentless bombing campaign. So what we are hoping to look at is uh, the treatment of uh, prisoners of wars, uh, and uh, the Quranic teachings on this, it will. We also hope to um, look at the uh, Islamic perspective and uh, on various aspects, and go into more detail about jihad uh, in Islam and uh, the media representation, or should I say, misrepresentation that takes place concerning this uh, particular subject. Now, as far as um, our researchers are concerned, and they looked at uh, what the Al Jazeera website had to offer. They said that uh, the uh, number of prisoners, now this is two weeks into the conflict, they said that two weeks into the conflict, uh, the uh, number of prisoners had risen to more than 10,000 uh, Palestinians, this is according to Palestinian uh, officials. Over the past two weeks, according to officials, the rights uh, groups uh, so we're talking human rights groups. Israel has arrested some 4,000 laborers from Gaza who are working in Israel and is holding them in military bases. Separately, it has also arrested 1,070 other uh, Palestinians in overnight army raids in the occupied West Bank and East Jerusalem. Um, arrests are taking place uh, 24 hours a day. This is according to uh, Sahar uh, Francis, head of the Ramallah-based uh, uh, Adamir uh, prisoners' rights group, uh, and uh, most of the people from Gaza are being held at a military base called uh, Sadeh Teman near uh, Beir al-Sabeh in the southern Naqab desert, uh, she said. Hundreds of others are being held in Offer uh, prison near Ramallah and in the uh, Antot, uh, Anatot um, military campaign, a uh, military camp near the village of Anata in occupied East Jerusalem. Palestinian lawyers and officials have highlighted the severe mistreatment and dire conditions under which detainees are being arrested and held. The 5,200 jailed before October 7th are largely residents of the occupied West Bank and East Jerusalem. But in the past two weeks, so uh, we're talking about two weeks after October the 7th, the Israeli army has arrested another 1,070 
uh, Palestinians during the overnight military raids in those areas. Uh, during periods of calm under Israel's 56-year military occupation, 15 to 20 people are arrested on a daily basis. But since uh, October the 7th, the daily arrest rate of Palestinians in the occupied West Bank and East Jerusalem has gone up to 120 people, according to Palestinian officials, 120 people a day. Uh, the arrests take place through uh, surprise military raids on Palestinian homes at dawn, humiliating searches of family members and their homes, destruction of property and belongings, as well as verbal and physical abuse. Uh, uh, Francis said that uh, Palestinians being held inside Israeli prisons and detention centers are cut off from the world. So that's the plight of um, the um, uh, Palestinians at this uh, at this stage, not only in Gaza, but also those Palestinians who uh, reside in the West Bank. And uh, many of them are detained. Uh, and um, according to um, this particular report, uh, they suffer severe mistreatment and are held in dire conditions. Uh, um, Imam uh, Jalish, is there uh, anything that you want to cover from an Islamic angle regarding this? Yes, of course. Uh, thank you so much, Brother Valid. You've mm. explained very well the situation. I would like to touch upon um, the commencement of or the permission of war that was given or, uh, by God Almighty at the time of the Holy Prophet. Mm-hmm. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Mm-hmm. The Holy Quran states, permission to fight is granted to those against whom war is made because they have been wronged and Allah indeed has the power to help them. This um, clearly explains that defensive war, punitive war is permitted only on the condition that the enemies initiate hostilities and raised sword against a weak, um, a weaker foe. Mm-hmm. A defenseless, defenseless people for having committed the only crime of declaring that God is their Lord. All offensive wars, according to Islam, are unholy. Mm-hmm. So we have to keep this in mind that at the time of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, um, the Holy Prophet um, and his companions um, went through a lot of um, oppression. Mm-hmm. And a lot of atrocities had been um, administered to them. And uh, the only time they did um, um, fight back was when this permission was given. And when they had actually moved out from Mecca, they weren't in the jurisdiction or the authority under Meccans. They were actually in Medina. And that was the only time they, they were permitted to mm. um, to commence war. Mm. Um, I think you, you also mentioned regarding the... The, the 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 treatment towards prisoners um there are a lot of um a lot of practices that the the muslims actually uh, took part in during war there's mm. a lot of things that the the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him stressed upon as well and uh, the, the prisoners is actually one of them so he uh, the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him actually had strict orders not to take prisoners until the practical commencement of battle and it was not acceptable to catch the enemy off guard and then begin taking prisoners. Uh-huh. So there's, a, there's there's etiquettes to war. Okay. There's etiquettes. Okay. It was, <clears throat> pardon me. Um, it was ordered that afterwards, according to circumstances, prisoners should be set free as an act of benevolence or kept in prison if necessary. However, this imprisonment was only permitted until war ensued, 
or until the losses which had been incurred as a result of war had been repaid, but not thereafter. Again, this is emphasizing regarding the the etiquettes of war, and there is decorum. Mm-hmm. It was ordered that prisoners should be treated with great compassion and kindness. As such, history proves that due to this order of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, the companions wouldn't worry about the comfort um, or sorry, they, they would worry about the comfort of the prisoners. They wouldn't worry about the comfort of themselves, mm. even more than their own ease. Mm. It was also commanded by the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that those prisoners who were close relatives of one another should not on any account be separated. Okay. It's very beautiful, the, 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 this teaching of Islam, the teaching mm. that was bestowed upon the Holy Prophet, mm. may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Um to take care of those who were um, imprisoned during war. Um, there are other narrations as well where the prisoners um, would be set free if they taught an illiterate Muslim. Mm-hmm. And I think it was, if you teach 10 illiterate Muslims how to read and write, you'd be set free. In every single corner, every single case, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, wanted to release these prisoners. He, there was no... Um, he, he, he didn't feel right that to, to, to keep these prisoners. And in, in, in every single case, he tried to find an out. We need to release these prisoners. Mm. Um, there's other um, narrations and um, incidents during that time where um, uh, a prisoner was actually in discomfort because of his, um, his, his hands were tied with rope. Mm. And he felt discomfort. And the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon permitted that you know, loosen, his, loosen, his, uh, loosen these uh, the, the, these. Uh, um, these ropes that are tying mm. that have been tied to his hand, he's in discomfort. So this is the love for humanity mm. overall that the Holy mm. Prophet, peace and blessings of mm. Allah be upon him, had. This person happened to be the uncle of the Prophet. Absolutely. And as a mark of his uh, desire for fairness, yep. he then instructed that the bones of all the prisoners should be yeah, loosened. Ex- so that exactly. it's, it's not something that is just done for his relative. It's not exactly. no favoritism. Exactly, the, yeah. uh, brother. Really well yeah. said. That, 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 that's mm. really good. Yeah, like mm. you're pointing that out mm. again. Just, just the true sheer benevolence and the mm. love that he mm. had for everyone mm. and being just yeah. towards everyone. And that's exactly yeah. what yeah. Uh, we see from these incidents. There's other incidences as well where the prisoners, um, whenever traveling from one camp to another, they would actually travel upon camels. They, okay. they, they were given precedence towards um, over over the Muslims to 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 travel in in style in mm-hmm. in, in, in comfort. Um, and again, this is this is this is a beautiful teaching of um, <clears throat> the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah, of Allah be upon him. There's other mm-hmm. injunctions as well in war. Um, I'll, I'll read some out. Um, do not kill any child, any woman, any elderly, or any sick person. Do not practice treachery or mutilation. Mm-hmm. Do not uproot or burn palms or cut down fruitful trees. Oh. Uh, do not slaughter a sheep or a cow or a camel except for food. Um, avoid striking of the face. And do not kill the monks in monasteries and do not kill those sitting in places of worship. Oh. is is really precise, mm. you know, very, very specific injunctions mm. that the Holy Prophet, the mm. blessings of Allah, be upon him, lead out to ensure that... Um, 
innocent lives were not lost and uh, the, the the those those who had nothing to do with with this with with this war were not affected in any way mm. so much so that even trees even trees were looked after um mm. that you know trees should not be uprooted either during during mm. this time you know every everyone there's also another um, incident um or narration that i remember of the holy prophet um peace and blessings of allah be upon him where he said that um the those warriors or those soldiers that are currently in war they shouldn't congregate in public areas because uh-huh. they might it might, it might get in the way of those people who are in 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 those areas they, they might need to okay. get somewhere right. so so a very very precise very 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 mm. very specific um, mm. injunctions that the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam may peace and blessings of allah be upon him has mm. has in fact laid out it's amazing i mean because these these uh, guidelines are be giving in are being presented in 7th century yeah i mean hundreds and hundreds of years ago yeah and it's only now that some of these are being adopted in yeah. things like the Geneva Convention and Absolutely. Human Rights yep. Organization. <coughs> but it has taken us 1,500 years to get to what Islam was actually uh, uh, presenting, what is it, for, uh, that long that long time ago. Exactly. Um, it's, it's, so, yeah. Yeah, very much ahead of its time. Yeah, mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really. Yeah, very really, yeah, it is. Um, I'd like to point out, um, I think, just to touch upon a little bit towards jihad and the interpretation yeah. that um, maybe the West have um, or Western culture have towards jihad. I think um, when mentioned about jihad, um, people interpret it as war and uh, conflict and um, just um, disregard of um, others and just trying to, um, you know, um, pu- um, plunder your way through. This, in fact, is um, is, is incorrect. Um Jihad in Arabic literally translates to to strive, striving, working hard towards a goal. Mm-hmm. So, if, um, for example, someone is, uh, is is studying really hard or is, is is trying to achieve a goal, he is he is going through a jihad. He she's striving to reach his goal. So, this is something that jihad. It, this is this is jihad. It is true that uh, jihad can be interpreted as 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 war as well. But the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said after returning from war, he said that we are returning from the lesser jihad to the greater jihad. And and, and then we have to see what the greater jihad is. The greater jihad was the, the jihad of the self mm-hmm. to, 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 to improve the self. Um, we have... Um, we have every single obviously the, the, the new year is upon us, and everyone has these new year re- resolutions. Yeah, and that in itself is, is is a sort of jihad that people try to improve themselves. They they, they want to improve themselves, and this is what Islam teaches. Islam mm. in the Holy Quran it says, "Fastabul khairat," mm-hmm. which means to strive to to try to improve in yourself, um, through through virtue, through through goodness. It's something Islam teaches, and this is this is in itself a, a jihad of the self. And, and and that is the greater, greater jihad to improve mm. to mm. improve the self. Um, so yes, I, I I wanted to point that out okay. as well. Mm. Um, I, I I would like to just go through something that um, the promised Messiah, um, the founder of the Muslim uh, the MD Muslim community, has has stated mm. regarding uh, jihad. Before that, can we mm. just listen to a clip, if you don't certainly, mind? Certainly, certainly. Yes. yes, of course, I think so that would work So this is also, yeah. this is about what you were just mentioning about mm. jihad. Let's mm-hmm. see what, what this clip has to offer regarding that uh, particular issue. There is nothing holy about the effects and horrors of warfare. It is very unfortunate in this day and age that the word jihad 
has been so misinterpreted by the Western nations, and in particular, their media. In a sense, these nations can be forgiven for this misinterpretation, because what is so painful to admit is the fact that throughout the last millennia, Muslim nations and their leaders have interpreted the word jihad as holy war and applied the word to all their wars, whether they have been fought for political, economic or expansionist motives. As a result of this misnomer, the religion of Islam has been wrongly accused of procuring converts to the faith by forceful or belligerent means. The word jihad has been used in two senses in the Holy Quran. Jihad fi sabilillah, that is striving hard in the cause of Allah, and jihad fillah, striving hard in Allah. The first meaning signifies the waging of war against the enemies of truth, while the second means to strive hard to win the pleasure and nearness of God. The latter meaning seems to possess a higher spiritual significance than the first. Jihad is of three kinds, striving against one's baser self, that is against one's own evil desires and propensities, striving by way of writing, speaking and spending one's wealth to propagate the truth of Islam and exposing its beauties to the non-believers, and striving against the enemies of truth, which includes fighting in self-defense. The Holy Prophet has termed the first two kinds of jihad as the Akbar jihad, the greater jihad, and the third as the Athgar jihad, the lesser jihad. Once when he was returning from fighting, he is reported to have said, you have returned from the smaller jihad that is fighting against the enemies of Islam to the greater jihad that is waging war against one's baser self. It is regarding the term lesser jihad or Asghar jihad which I will initially address before endeavouring to explain the greater jihad or Akbar jihad. The Holy Prophet Muhammad was 40 years old when the divine call came to him. His first revelation and instruction from the Holy Quran was, recite in the name of your Lord who created, created man from an adhesive clot. Recite and your Lord is the noblest who taught by the pen taught man what he knew not. This first instruction makes it quite clear that the Holy Prophet was commanded by God to spread the message of Islam by both oral and written means, and not by force of any kind, either by the sword or other aggressive measures. The very first word means to convey the message, to proclaim to the whole world the revelation and teaching of God's word through the auspices of the Holy Quran. Soon afterwards, the Prophet was commanded to proclaim widely and openly that which was being conveyed to him. His attempts to convey God's message to those around him in Mecca only drew hostility and ridicule. Four persons believed in him from the very first, and when this became known to the Meccans, they began to laugh and mock. As more verses of the Holy Quran were revealed, more people became interested and drawn to this new message especially the young, the weak and oppressed of Meccan society. Women especially were drawn to this new religion as it offered them both dignity and honor amongst their fathers, their husbands and their sons, something which they had never experienced before as in most respects they were treated worse than animals. The continuing success of the Holy Prophet 
brought about a backlash against him and the early converts. The Meccans embarked on a course of persecution which grew more cruel and more savage as time passed. They were afraid that the new religion would become firmly established and that their own religion and culture would be ruined. Out of this fear it was the Meccans, the disbelievers, who drew their swords and took delight in slaughtering the true and faithful servants of God over a long period. The streets of Mecca became red with the blood of the Muslims, but they did not retaliate. Their humility and steadfastness encouraged their persecutors to be even crueler, and they subjected the Muslims to more extreme modes of torture and floggings. Many parents had to endure the sight of their children being slaughtered before their very eyes, and some parents were crucified in front of their own children. So what made these people accept the Holy Prophet a man who at the time was without power or wealth? He certainly did not wield a sword to compel them to accept him and his message. The only sword the Holy Prophet possessed was the sword of the Holy Quran, a spiritual sword, a sword of truth, the blade of which each convert was willing to be smitten by. Such was the beauty the glory and magnetism of Islam and Muhammad وسلم, who practiced and preached Islam, who oozed goodness and love, that they willingly gave their lives to its cause. However, it was the Meccans and especially the tribe of Quraysh who raised their physical swords to attack the Muslims in order to compel them to return to their old religion and customs. After the migration of the Holy Prophet وسلم, to Medina, the cruelties of the unbelievers from among the Quraysh exceeded all bounds. They started to murder those helpless converts left behind in Mecca, including women and orphan children. Although the Prophet and many of his companions had migrated to Medina, they too were not left in peace. They were continuously harassed in that place also. By this time, the emerging religion of Islam was surrounded by enemies on all sides and was threatened with complete annihilation. In this regard, the first commandment, designated as jihad, was revealed to the Holy Prophet It states, permission to fight is given to those against whom war is made, because they have been wronged, and Allah indeed has power to help them. According to scholarly opinion, this is the first verse that gave Muslims permission to take up arms in self-defense. The verse lays down principles according to which Muslims can wage a defensive war. It clearly sets forth the reasons which led a handful of Muslims without arms and other material means to fight in self-defense after, after they had suffered with great restraint, ceaseless persecution in Mecca for years and had been pursued with relentless hatred to Medina, where they were continuously harassed and harried. Right, that was uh, Mr. Bilal Atkinson uh, talking about jihad, very much confirming what uh, Imam Jalis Khan was telling us earlier about uh, the various aspects of this uh, particular concept. Um, there's more to say, I'm sure, um, Imam Jalis. Uh, can you enlighten us further? Yes, absolutely. Um, during my um, research uh, on this topic, I, uh, I stumbled upon um, the Treaty of Medina. Mm -hmm. um, now, 
treaty of the, the, the treaty of Medina is 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 a um, is a constitution first of its kind. Um, in the, during the time of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, where there are certain conditions laid out for all those residents, those citizens living in Medina at that time. And we must remember that at that time, there were Jews living um, in Medina, there were Muslims, and there were those who were um, idol worshippers as well. And um, if you if you, you could also count hypocrites at that time who were um, outwardly Muslim, but uh, inside they, they had some sort of resentment against mm-hmm. the Muslims. So all <coughs> these types of people, you know, different to different people from different faiths and walks of life were present in uh, Medina. So the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he drew up a constitution, um, the Treaty of Medina. The sixth condition of this was that if another nation waged war against the Jews or Muslims, one would stand up in defense of the other. This is, again, this is, 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 uh, it was just a, a, maybe a side point, but I just, I wanted to mention because um, Islam is such a beautiful religion. And this treaty is first of its kind, Medina, a citadel of peace. This, this, this highlights this, mm. um, that if anything happens, no matter who, mm. um, no matter who it's happening to, um, everyone will stand up um, for, for for the betterment of everyone. So right. it's, 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 it really emphasizes that, that side of Islam. Uh-huh. Um, I would like to finish um, on, on a quote that our um, beloved Hazur um, may Allah strengthen his hand Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmad um, stated uh, regarding the current situation um, so he states even in a state of war Islam does not permit the killing of women, children elderly and innocent civilians the holy prophet Muhammad peace and blessings be upon him gave strict instructions against doing so in this recent escalation of the war, Hamas made the first move and attacked Israeli citizens, leaving aside for a moment the fact that innocent people have been unjustly killed by the Israeli army. Muslims should ensure that they always adhere to the teachings of Islam. Hmm. Okay. Thanks very much. <clears throat> and I think it's good to, um, to take... Um quotes from His Holiness because uh, they are very much uh, uh, full of wisdom, very much entrenched in uh, Islamic teachings. He also said that whatever injustice and cruelty Hamas committed, the response to that of war should have been restricted to Hamas. Mm. However, the indiscriminate response of the Israeli government is extremely dangerous and it seems that this conflict will not end here. In fact, it cannot even be imagined how many innocent women, children, elderly and civilians will lose their lives. The Israeli government has suggested it will destroy Gaza, and to this end, they have carried out severe and overwhelming bombardment. Uh, They have turned the city to dust. Uh, How the most recent development is, uh, now the most recent development is that the Israeli government is telling a million or so people uh, to leave uh, northern Gaza immediately. This is uh, a quote from uh, one of his uh, pronouncements um, soon after the initial attack uh, that Hamas uh, conducted. Uh, and he also said, it seems that major powers are bent upon inciting wars. So he's uh, also commented on the role 
of uh, major powers rather than ending it. An ordinary person, his holiness said, cannot even imagine the war that may now ensue as a result of the injustices that have been seen. The major powers know the intensity of the damage it will cause, yet they are not interested in establishing justice and are unwilling to pay heed. And uh, His Holiness has very much uh, implored uh, everyone to uh, intensify their prayers uh, so that um, these injustices um, can um, be withdrawn. He also said, that may Allah enable the major powers to fulfill the obligations of justice on both sides of the conflict in order to establish peace. It should not be that they become lenient towards one side at the cost of the other. May they not increase in injustice and may we come to see peace in the world. So these are extracts from the pronouncements of His Holiness regarding this uh, particular conflict. Uh, we do hope that it uh, comes to end uh, soon. Yep and that peace uh, can reign once again uh, in that uh, part of the world. Um, this does bring us uh, to the end of this broadcast. It leaves me to thank those people who have been involved. Our producer, Basirith Siddiqui, is uh, deserving of her thanks, as are her researchers, Aman Sahib, uh, Tahrim Sahiba, um, and others who have been involved. Uh, also, let me also thank uh, the technician, uh, to make sure that everything ran smoothly as far as the technical side of the broadcast is concerned. So thank you to him. Um, and our uh, contributors, Ansaraza Harinda Singh, Bilal Atkinson, who gave us their views on this, uh, on the topics that we were discussing. So until next time, it's Assalamu Alaikum from myself and uh, Imam Jalis. Uh, assalamu Alaikum until next time.